Hello, and welcome to Educational Triage, where we discuss issues in alternative education. This is a discussion about teaching by teachers, for teachers, and others who are interested in the alternative education world. We hope you find today's episode relevant, engaging, and useful. And if you do, please subscribe. I'm Tony Hunt, and I'm here to help guide you with the help of my friends, Christy and Philip. Welcome back to Educational Triage. And this week I am joined with Guy Philip. Hello, Philip. And this week we are taking on equity. What is equity and do we really teach? Do we really actually teach it? Um, First of all, maybe we need to figure out what the definition of equity is. And, oh, if you're wondering, where's Christy? We don't know. Um, She was running a little bit behind and we don't know what happened. So um, hopefully we'll find her again. So equity means offering individualized support to students that address possible barriers like poverty, limited transportation, other cultural precepts that might affect the learning outcomes, etc. So, Philip, does that come close to your um, definition of equity? Definitely, maybe. <laughs> so definitely I looked maybe. it up. I gave old Merriam-Webster <laughs> a try, and I had this definition, which befuddled me more. The first piece is oh. um, definition of equity is justice according to natural law, right? That didn't get me anywhere. And then the second was the money value of property or interest. Yeah, no thanks. And then then the third was a system of law originating English chancery or compromise, a settle or formal bottle, body of legal. Never mind. And I went, well, that doesn't help. So I went to the synonyms and anonyms because that'll give you a clue. And that was even, that gave me something. That went synonyms, detachment, disinterest, <laughs> even-handedness, fair-mindedness, fairness, impartiality, justice, new, neutralism, neutrality, objectiveness, or objectivity. Antonyms are bias, favor, um, one-sidedness, partiality, or prejudice. That helps me a lot. So in regard to equity in education, um, yeah, um, <laughs> um, I've, I can say that I've always treated every student without bias, with fair-mindedness. I've gotten to them what they needed um, with uh, not detachment, with, but with a neutrality. I, if you could read better but needed more math assistance, I saw to it that you got more math assistance. Um, yeah, so equity in education, as far as my approach, it was always, mm-hmm. yeah, everybody needed something more or something less. Um, we worked our lesson plans around that. So yeah, that's kind of, now I understand equity. Is that what we're after in this? (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think somewhat, I think that when we talk about teachers, because teachers understand the concept, but they're not really sure many of them how to begin because most teachers have, well, even beginning teachers, they start off and they have this class and everybody is, uh, did you ever see, I want to say it was, Rainy with a chance, something with a chance oh, of meatballs. 
Did you ever see that yeah. movie? And all the, I think it was the seagulls, and they all went, me, 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 me. Mine, mine, mine. And, um, well, that's Nemo. Something mine, like mine, that. mine, mine. And that, <laughs> that's great. I love that one. Yeah, that's Nemo. Oh, there mine, we go. Nemo. Yes. Mine. Yeah. I love yeah. That. Anyway. <laughs> Okay, well, those are the kids uh-huh. in our room because a lot yeah. of them sit there and say, me, 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 me. Come on, this. look at me. Yeah. Help me, help me, help me. And uh, because because Absolutely, we work with yeah. such needy students in many ways. And, there, and when I went through and I started looking at different definitions, there were so mm-hmm. many. And even in the books, because they are mired in the concept that equity has to do with feelings. And others believe it has to do with race and people would say that it has to do with poverty and others with other possible barriers. And those are barriers. And we do need Mm -hmm. to work through those barriers. But are they all correct or are they wrong? Hmm. I don't know how to phrase that. Yeah, I guess when it comes to equity in a classroom, I, I don't regard equity as part of a group. For example, I think when you're talking about equity and equality now, people are thinking about groups, which is ironic because I think the key to treating people is not to treat them as part of a group first and then uh, and then an individual second. I think you treat a person as an individual second. I, I think a lot of people, we approach people as for part of groups. And, and by that, I mean, um, we think, well, this group needs more attention than that group or such a thing. And that's a bad approach. I just look as a kid that needs a, a certain amount of attention in a certain area. So... Uh, these these kids need attention, like right. less or more. Like I said, um, if a kid's having an emotional outburst, like you said, or they they need a, a certain emotional need, I'm not a counselor, and I'm the first person to go, um, Uncle, <laughs> and then I'll go, you know, you're having an emotional breakdown. And I, many a time, I did working alternative. Lord knows, we had those where the kids generally were sort of out of it mm-hmm. because of an emotional need, and we had some great counselors. And I go do you need to go see the counselor? Because I, it looks like you might. And they go, yeah, I really do. And I'd say, why don't you do that? That would be just fine with me. And that would be their their field of expertise. And that's what they would do too. So there were needs that all the kids had. We would address them as needed. <laughs> right. And that's, well, yeah. that's working through it. So what I'm going to say is any student with any barrier that causes any struggle to learn is the target of there any teaching by equity. Yeah, as individuals, as student individuals, not as groups of students. I think that in society today, I think we use that to right. address groups in need of equity and equality. But a good teacher won't ever look as a student as a member of a group. A good teacher will look as a student as an individual in need of certain things. Mm-hmm. I was thinking back to back in the 90s when I was brought into cooperative learning and started working through Spencer Kagan. Do you remember Spencer Kagan? I don't. Did you ever do anything? Oh, okay. Um, I, I was part of a group that worked through Spencer Kagan and we would meet and we would do, uh, it was a lot of elementary school teachers, but I thought it was fantastic because I started bringing it in and working with the cooperative learning strategies in, um, in my when I was working with my students in residential and they loved it because I used to call them my fifth graders with whiskers and we would do all these different things and all these different activities and work with these different strategies and they would work. And 
<clears throat> the fact that it was cooperative and, and there was a way where everybody was held accountable, that really helped out as well. And it really started fostering sort of uh, a group dynamic where students could work with each other and they could um, they could foster each other in their weaknesses and bring them up a little bit better because they started looking at those. So, and then I did a, I took a workshop on Howard Gardner and his multiple intelligences. And I started implementing those and we, and started working with students to try to figure out what were the best ways to work with those. And that actually helped a great deal with a lot of students and helped me understand them. Um, but I think that there needed to be more follow through because sometimes you find yourself on a precipice and you're not really sure which way to go. And the answer isn't right there for you. And so I don't like trying things on students that I'm not sure what the outcome is going to be exactly and whether or not we're going to start losing time. Am I making yes. any sense here? Because you want you want to have an outcome that is at least defined okay. in a way that's bona fide. I'm I well I have a, I have I like I like to I started that way. Right. I, I base my outcomes on on the way I approach them. I use a lot of multiple intelligence. I use a lot of flow base. I use a lot of rich environment. I use a lot of student directed learning. I use a lot of um, coming around. I, I allow the students to go off lesson, but somehow it always stays within range and comes back. Um, when it comes to safety, with the rich environment, if it's physical, safety is utmost. I'm a real um, real stickler on safety, but it sometimes can get extreme, like a climbing wall, things like that. Um, but the lesson mm -hmm. is always rich. Um, so the outcome is, is always kind of unexpected and I learn and I build from yeah. that. So it's a lot of fun. I like outcomes that change though. So in that regard, I like playing with outcomes. What I think, well, I was going to say, I think, but I believe what we did was we ended up having yeah. discussions about everything and learning. And, and we talked about what was happening and how this all worked. We took students and we began writing groups and we worked with them in writing and we did the same thing with maths and we did the same thing with, uh, right. project-based learning. And, and so some of the students that weren't able to do things, I watched other students tutor them. Yeah, so they could be up to the level that everybody else was, and that was amazing. And because we really needed to have um, that kind of camaraderie yeah. happening, so I think what we need to look at, and and what we need to look at, maybe, and this has to do with equity, is we know what the concept is, we know what what outcome we're looking for at the very end. And then if we structure and find little ways for us to, uh, I don't want to, well, maybe yeah. remediate is a way, 
but we start looking at various formats that we can put out there. And maybe there's choices for the students in order to understand or to get to that. And you can design yeah. those with the students. And we find this we find this in Universal Design for Learning, or commonly known as UDL. And this begins to weave sort of a rich tapestry of understanding and the students can find their own way. So, um, you know, use of audio books in order to help students who aren't yeah. that great at reading and they can follow along. It helps them get the knowledge. It helps them get to where they need to be. And that also works for students who can, who, who are very proficient at reading. Um, but you, there are books, videos, other media that, um, Teachers can we look did a at variation in order on TED Talks. Understand what and, and I didn't get a chance to expand on that, but I, I yeah. did lay the basis one year and I wanted to expand on that in the years further on TED Talks. Because that that really opened up a lot of media, uh -huh. a lot of knowledge. You know, to be a mini expert for a 15 minute talk. Yeah, a lot of fun. Right, right. Well, I know experts that have yeah. seven or eight minute talks. And the problem and and what kills me is the fact that I want more. Yeah. I want to hear more. So how do you get that? But let's go back to the students and let's say that somebody is just not learning. They're way behind. And what are you going to do with somebody who is what we used to call the reluctant learner? Maybe they have oppositional defiance disorder. Um, what is What are some ways that we can present um, Let's say that we're just looking for X. What's the answer to X? Let's say that we have 2X plus 3 equals 10. X is always a love of learning. So <clears throat> my key to that was always find out what it is they love. Dig beneath the surface to make it academic. There's always something about it that is academic. It's they're, they're, They geek out on it. I gave you, you know, I gave you a math problem. <laughs> that's so. it. I know you did. You gave me the X. Yeah, that's it. You gave me a math oh. problem. I loved it because it, it applied to what I think like, yeah. X was always the love of learning. Find out what that is. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get to the love of learning. Yeah. So what's Geek, car geeks? They mm -hmm. love they People thought they yeah. were stupid. They were and genius. So they knew the gaps and, in the points they knew, you know, they, they knew the timing that was brilliant. They knew how to vary the timing to make it that much faster. Yeah. They were mathematical wizards. Exactly. I think what it is, I'm just going to tell you that the fascination that students have with something that they want to know, there's got to be an interest or a passion driving them. And if you remember two weeks ago, yeah. we talked about how do we teach purpose? Um, this filters right into it. So I'm walking on the beach. I don't know if I mentioned this or not during that time. I'm walking on the beach with the students and because we're doing a project for solve. And one of my students is walking with me and we're picking up trash. And he looks up and he says, what are they doing up there? And, and they were drilling in these supports, these major steel beams in order to uh, support the, the sandstone support cliffs, the yeah. cliffs yeah. from going, <laughs> yes, yeah, to keep the houses apart. safe. 
and we walked a little bit further and and there were home there was one house that had already started to fall in there were some people standing on a deck that oh, was precariously mm-hmm. leaning over and there were some other homes that and there were they were mm-hmm. putting riprap up and if anybody doesn't know what riprap is it's the major mm-hmm. stones that they put on a cliff um and by the sides of the road and they put netting over it usually to keep it from to keep to stabilize the hillside and so my student was looking at me and he said well how do you figure this stuff out and i said well that's a type of engineering i'm not sure what type of engineering i said but it's something that maybe if you were interested you could look it up and if that's something that you want to investigate that would be fantastic so i had other students and they were asking all kinds of questions so just being in a foreign environment for them because you know you have your teacher and it's outside of the classroom and we're doing something that's re- yeah. radically different than day to day and so they're asking all these questions about everything and of course we had that one adult who sat there and said you need to come back there's a sign that says don't wander here and it's like yeah that's like yeah. 100 feet up the hill so but we did look and of course, the guys who are into trucks, they really loved looking at the tire <laughs> treads. But um, yeah, no, that's so what's what was equity for that? Well, for that one student, it was um, just he's he's a bright kid. He's just not motivated. And that level of interest where he just wanted to talk and he got really excited about it was the first time I'd ever seen that coming from him. So that in itself is also a form of equity where you're going out of your way to try to find things that right. that interest students and you can go outside of your own learning uh, box. I'd right? love to see it. I'd love to see um, the kid. I'd love to see something light up a kid's eyes. <laughs> we start talking about something. One kid asked me about music. He actually asked me what music I would recommend he listen to. You should have seen my eyes light up. And I gave him a list and he wrote it down meticulously. How do you spell that? How do you spell that? He came back the next day and had listened to most, if not all of the entire list and was entirely excited about all of it. And I was like, kid, you've been bit. I could tell you're, you've just been bit. Yeah. It was fascinating. (laughs) He, I've been playing, I play music when I um, guest teach when I can. And he said, I really like your selections. Can you pass on some more selections to me? So, yeah, here we go. It, it's always fun. I'll talk about stuff in class or something, and I'll see somebody go, what are you talking about? And then they'll listen more, or, or they'll uh, say, hey, that's interesting. Can you tell me more about that? It's really fun to talk to people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, building the relationship. You have to have the relationship first yeah, before they're going to yeah. trust you with anything. And, and, and they also need, because if you're going to, if, if you're going to look at Tommy Thumbsucker and say, okay, well, I developed this thing. So which one of these things do you want to do? And he just grabs one and then he runs with it, except he's like, he says, I want to do this one where I can get up and I can move around a lot. And then he's like playing basketball with his friends with pieces of paper. Right. So he's not really Mm -hmm. doing what he's supposed to be doing, but you gave him that option. So if you have the relationship. And they respect you and they respect your relationship, then that's going to make all the difference. So they have to know what the expectations are 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, but what also needs to be clear is how you how used to being successful is the student. Because if a student doesn't feel as though they're going to be successful, that's another barrier. So how are you going to cross that barrier? Uh, Yeah, that's a great, that's a great, great way to say it. It's about success. It's about students' time. Um, I never presume that their time is less valuable than anyone else's. And I don't know what, I don't know how to say that. That means a lot to me to say. Um, I was, I always assumed as a student when I was younger that adults, it was kind of like do what you're told to do. And to me, that meant my time wasn't as as important as it it was to them. And they kind of, that was kind of disrespectful to me. And I felt like when I grew up, (laughs) And I was in control. I wasn't going to do that to kids. I wasn't going to do that to students. You know, when I became a teacher, I didn't want to do that to people in general. Um, Treat their time as if it wasn't as important as my time was. I never liked it as a worker. Um, I actually, as a paramedic, was paid 24 hours to work. But um, they didn't pay me for eight of it when I slept at quarters unless I was up for more than two hours. So they could pay me to wake up, go drive someplace and say standby for 45 minutes and drive back. But if I wasn't up for more than two hours, they weren't going to pay me at all for that eight hours I slept at quarters. So I mean, think that's kind of like taking my time. I still had to pay for someone to stay at my house with my kids and things. And they didn't pay me for any of that. Yeah. So there was a way of stealing my time. And so I always figured I wasn't going to waste kids' time. So if I ever asked them to do something, I had to make it worth their time. And so I never really ordered them around. So even as a guest teacher, I, the expectation is always, if if you're here, I'm going to make it worth your time. I'll never ask you to do something just for stupid sake. You know, like here's a worksheet because I got nothing better for you to do. <laughs> ever or assign an entire class because I'm just too lazy to edit it down online. I know you took half of it and I just want you to do the whole thing because I'm kind of lazy and I just want you to do the whole thing. I know that you did half the class. I'll get, I'll take half of it out because your time is valuable and you had better things to do than just, I don't want to do it for you. You know, it's we're people let's negotiate our time. See what I'm saying? That's equity too. Time is equity. It's respectful. Well, correct. And so is the negotiation. Thank you. The negotiation, I think, I think it all comes out of respect. Yes. And you know, when I was talking to Marcus, when I when I was talking to Marcus Legrand, we um I brought up the fact that what they find is students of color when they first come into a classroom people automatically assume that they don't understand English and that they don't understand directions. And so they try to dumb it down <laughs> instead of starting from, from a place where you, your expectations are that they do understand. And if they don't, then that's where you don't that's dumb it treating down. people as they're part of a group. You find Hi, you're a member of a ways. group. I'll treat you like that member of a group first. Exactly. <laughs> What's that about? Right. Right. Yeah, and it's you you need to treat everybody as though they are there to do a job and their job is to learn. Right? Because right. that's you why walk, students yeah. come to school. As one administrator said, 
the students come to school so that the teachers can love on them. And the teachers come to school so they can love on the kids. And the administrators come to school so they can love on the teachers. And that is a good school. That is a healthy school. So, you know, if the teachers aren't loving on the kids, which means that you are looking at them, and yes, it is possible to get an entire group of students to do all sorts of different things, but they have to feel safe. They have to feel as though you're respectful and everybody else in the room is respectful. So how do you build yeah, that culture? Yeah. That's the first part. So if I'm going to be, if, if I'm going to be finding different ways with a class of 36 to um, explain to me how the, oh, what is it? Tell me what the theme of Romeo and Juliet is. How are you going to do that? And maybe for somebody, they want to paint a picture and then they can explain it. And it doesn't have to be right. in front of the class. They can do that like in a, in a video. They can do it on, um, they could do it individually. They it, Just so many different ways. And I think what you need to figure out is as a teacher, once you are able to create a culture in your classroom and that could take up to that could take a week but if you don't you're going to be fighting an uphill battle and i think you're going to run into rapids a lot and it might be better for you to have a blissful lagoon that you can canoe around and look at all the beautiful things and but first you have to build the lagoon yeah and you have to build the canoe and then you get in there and yeah, well if you build you, a, ca a calendar and before that class walks in the door and you stay to that calendar come hell or high water, mm -hmm. you've lost everything and you'll never catch mm -hmm. up. And the end of the year will come and you will be so grateful it has come and you will be in so need of summertime. And those kids will have been cheated of a year of learning because you will stay to that calendar and never develop the relationship it well, would have taken to have learned much at all. You put the concepts in front in in front of the, it, no, that didn't come out right. You're putting the concepts exactly, ahead and of no the one child. invested anything. In other words, they're more. That's right, right, and that's what's more important. But it's not. You're just an instructor. Is. You're not a teacher. So, and a lot of people they think they're good at a subject and they should be a teacher. And somehow they got certified as a teacher and they're doing a great disservice. <laughs> It's not about the content. It's about the kids, each and every one of them. Oh, if you don't. Okay. I have been in the situation where students will not learn. I mean, there is no way they're going to do yeah. anything. And somebody said, well, what are you going to do about that student? And I said, well, I'm still going to work with that student and try to figure it out. I'll, I'm working with home, but um, they're, they, they, the student just isn't doing anything anywhere. And somebody said, well, what's their issue? And I said, well, I'm beginning to think that it's a control issue and everybody's making their decisions for them. And this is one way for them to be in control. And they have everybody begging them rather than them having to kowtow to everybody else. They feel like everybody's kowtowing to them. It's not in their own best interest, but 
they need to have some form of control. So how do you get the student to find that control? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a million dollar question. It really is. But going back, um, if you're going to be teaching, let's say you're going to be teaching Romeo and Juliet, it doesn't matter if the kids sit down and read it out loud. Don't make them read it out loud. Do not make them read it to themselves. There is nothing worse. Nothing. Play the audible. Yes. Play the audible and have them follow along and stop it and talk about it. Because once they hear it, they can close their eyes and they can imagine it. Think of it as a radio. It actually should be performed. Seriously. It's it's actually should yeah, be filmed. That's the it's way it's supposed to be. Yeah. It is a performance. Yeah. It is not it is not to it's be not read. Not to be read, especially by somebody else. who is not is reading it out of pentameter and stumbling over every other word. And many of them Shakespeare made up. I mean, he created some of these words. <laughs> Use your phonics to f- sound them out. What do you mean, sound it out? Bed knob? What is that word? <laughs> That's not. You can't sound that out. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I've never seen that word. That Summers? Be. No, that word doesn't actually exist. You're right. <laughs> Shakespeare befuddles right. him. And, yeah. and so basically, yeah. right, right, befuddles. <laughs> yeah, it's like what? <laughs> um, they just. It's, but, yeah, you know, you go through, because I've taught Shakespeare for years, and I studied Shakespeare. I worked, I studied under the Royal Shakespeare Fest, uh, Festival. Yeah. But they, you know, you take chunks yeah. of it, and then you go back and you say, what do you think just happened? And don't use, don't sit there and look at the words. Just think, just with the feeling, because it's music. Shakespeare's words are actually music. music. Because if you look at some of the ways, <laughs> think of the way that it goes along. Now, when Juliet has her speech, if you think about this, when Juliet does her speech about drinking the ampule, yeah. if you look at it, it's full of percussives. And she, and yeah. the, if you read that out loud, she is working herself up into a state. Shakespeare's writing carries the language carries the character into the states that they need to be. Sure. So, if the, so if they're following the rules of Shakespeare and they're look getting into it, then it will take the character right where they, they carry are. their own soundtrack. So in their speech. it will show agitate. Yes, they, <laughs> they really, really do. do. And also their motivation, yeah. everything it's, it's ingenious. It's absolutely wonderful. But kids don't see that because they've been poorly taught in the yeah. past. And there are teachers who will stand up for the way that they teach it. But I'm sorry. But um, even if you tell them, you know, this is the best way to do it. Well, then they just kind of want to put you in a casket and shove you off the boat. So, um, but, you know, how, you know, what does the student need to show you in order to prove that they have that concept? And, and what's going to be the best outcome. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to take a look at what are some methods that the student can use in order to display or demonstrate the outcome and start asking people, start asking around. Um, Everybody has an idea. You'll, I mean, always be an open vessel for listening to people on this because equity is something that we can start in the classroom, but it's also a bigger picture, right? Yeah. The, the good thing about Shakespeare so too is that we're always everybody, redoing it. as far as performance performance go, 
Um, I used to use Roman Polanski's Macbeth, but there's a brand new one with Denzel Washington. And right. I like Macbeth right. because it's it's pretty simple. As far as the tragedy of Macbeth goes, it's kids can follow the story pretty quick. And mm-hmm. it's got some violence. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not graphic violence, but... Right. And, and kids seem to like that. And it's, right. But if you so really... Nice. If the kids have a very... If, if the kids are feeling very dark, you can always tell them, do not watch Titus Andronicus. You will not like it. It's too gory and it's just too disgusting. <laughs> They'll watch it. Um, oh. And, and you know, the, the version with uh, Jessica Lange and um, Anthony Hopkins. I hadn't Anthony, seen that one. Anthony Hopkins. Oh, it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. So, okay. So we're talking about kids who have a barrier, yeah. right? And back when you and I were talking about credit recovery, I'm I'm making a huge leap here. So if anybody's sitting there saying, well, what? Yeah, because I was going through some things that teachers can do, but I kind of want to go back a little bit and I want to look at equity from a district viewpoint. Because districts are all about equity. We have that in our language. We have that at the state level where they talk about equity. Now, last week when I was talking with uh, Courtney Lear, we were talking about students who have to move around and they go building to building, district to district, and they don't get any credits, even though they've been attending school and they've been doing the work, but then they transfer out. They don't really get anything for that. And so where's the equity in that? It's not their fault that they are homeless. It's not their fault that their parents have to move. It's not their fault that they're being dragged around. So how does, the, how does your district deal with all of that? And are they serving that student with equity? What are some ways that you can help that student with that challenge and provide them with something that would actually serve them? I just threw a big juggernaut in there, didn't I? How do they do that? We used to, (laughs) I used to actually track down credits. If I had a kid, I remember one of my, the main things that that they would do for me is track down the credits and bring them together and get me a complete transcript. That was one of the first things we did. I'd, I'd get a kid in. But they don't have. But the teachers weren't giving them any grades because if the kid was only there for two or three weeks, yeah, they wouldn't have. I would actually, I was able back in the day, (laughs) they probably don't do it anymore. Do it anymore. I was able to call up teachers and ask them, how much work did they do? Was it quality? Was it enough? Can I give them X amount of credit? And I was, I was able to edit them. I don't Mm -hmm. generally, they weren't able to get credit being alternative kids, they kind of ended up with us because they didn't go to class. And it was sort of like, come to the alternatives and see if you can start a new life. Right. But sometimes they did. Right. Sometimes we had kids who would get to us because they just wanted out of Dodge and alternatives would get them a better way. And that was always that kind of way. And so I'd get like a 0.25 credit and I'd just add that and we'd start over and get the 0.5 and then move on. Yeah. Right. But, but, how do you okay? So let's say that we have a student who doesn't have anybody who's marked right. any credits. Down. You know that happened. I worked with a homeless kid down at and Lincoln High in Portland ages ago. He was all over the about. place. That I remember him well. Yeah. So how do you handle how do you handle 
that student because the student has skills. So are you looking at competencies? Are you looking at seat? I mean, let's, let's throw seat time out the window because seat time is not a pillar of equity. I think, you know, in the end, I think he Um, fell through the cracks to be honest with you, because he was at, because it was Lincoln, he was handed over to the, his dilemma was handed over to the counseling department and he was working with the homeless youth shelter and I don't know if he ever regained his credits or ever they ever found his credits. They might have. Well, but see, that's yeah. the thing. They don't have his credit. His credits would not be transferred. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't. I don't know if they ever tracked it He down. wouldn't have any. Tra- he no. would not have. I don't know. They wouldn't be able to track no, anything down. Probably Philip, not. You've gone to five different yeah, high schools. It's not going to happen. You've gone to five different high schools in it's nine not weeks. Happen. How are they going to tell you how many credits you have after those nine weeks? They're going to throw those credits out. They, he went to a suburban high You're school. You're going to have to make a And they ended up in the streets of Portland, as I recall. They probably, they probably never tracked mm-hmm. down anything. I don't even know what he, he graduated either. Yeah. He was really lost in the forest. Well, I have a and feeling. That was way back when, before the homeless kid, youth, really the population exploded. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. But Philip, here's the, I'm not sure that you're no, I know exactly what, what you're saying, talking about. You're still, exactly. There are so many kids okay, that have lost because, so many times so because you in have school. just it's just unimaginable. Right. Yeah, it's impossible and then, to imagine. Yeah. And then they come into a school, then they come into a school and the school says, "Well, you don't have any yeah. of this stuff, so you're going to have to retake There's it." No way. Well, that's not fair to the kid, especially if the kid comes in the second quarter and how are they supposed to get a semester credit? I mean, what do you do for that student? What How do you, you individualize you a program? Not for in that a public high so school. You got to go and do anything it. for them there, unless you've got some kind of outreach program well, or a credit. You're doing a credit recovery. You can't do anything there either. What do you do for them? Yes, you can yeah, assign them the whole class. Well, what they would do is they would throw them in. <laughs> they would assign him the whole class on the computer, no, no, no. in front of a computer platform. And tell them to do that. That doesn't help with all with any of the skills that the student has. What can they do? To put kids in front of a computer and tell them and expect them to get their high to be doing all of their work on a computer because they didn't make the credits in a class. That's not equity. That is not that's equity. not working with equity. That's not giving them anything. That's not allowing them to show what they are best able to do. It is a dead, dead end. end, and it's very passive, and it doesn't give them the best that they. Can I, I do believe and we've uncovered one of these sources of homelessness, <laughs> houselessness. Yeah, because what what are you left with? You've got no education, no promise, no means of support. You, there's got to be. It's a siphon for just tragedy. There's no way to recover from that. Well, there are programs. Yeah, but I recall there were one or two programs. One, there was one, actually, there was one very viable uh, program for homeless yeah. youth in Portland, in downtown Portland, and it was an educational program, and they did all kinds of things. They were so innovative. It was wonderful. Yeah. And um, I don't know what happened. The problem is, here's here's the other part of the problem, and that is the funding that goes to these programs that help those students, it's... It, it gets cut. Yeah. Why does it get cut? Because the city, the city or the district wants to use that money in other ways. And they just, they don't 
determine that these students are the most viable. And they keep trying to figure out ways to, um, to keep their margins, I suppose. But as far as, yeah. but what districts, here's what districts do. They, districts talk about equity. They love to showboat equity, but there's no water for the boat to float on. <laughs> Does that yeah, make sense? There, a, a dead end like that has to, to stop. There cannot be a, a siphon like that onto the streets. No youth should, should just go, well, screw it then. I'm, I'm just going to live in a box. I'm just going right. to go into sexual get, predatory you... situations because I got no other way to live. It should never occur. Mm -hmm. No, it shouldn't. But now that we've taken care of that, let's go back to yes. the teachers in the classroom and the schools. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I would actually advocate for teaching in a place like that because that's the place I feel like I would best work in. It's like, you know, that's where I, I was talking to somebody today and I thought, oh yeah, I thought one of my primary roles, if not my primary role in alternative education, <clears throat> secondary alternative education was to find the next best place for my students. You know, it, it, yeah, I taught subjects, but all in all, my job was to keep what was best in mind for my, my students. What was the next best place? Where do you need to go next? Always. What's next? Always. Yeah, always. Where? What's next for you? Where Where do you need to go next? How can I help you get there? Always I thought that first and foremost till the time I said, hey, bye. And I didn't know if I'd ever see him again. That was always what I thought. Um, above all else, I guess after it's all said and done, that's that. So, hmm. That's what makes a teacher a teacher. That's what made me what I was. I always thought that was what was best. Let's get you prepared. And I wish you the best of luck. Um, yeah, I believed in everyone that did that. So, yeah, that's equity for me. What could I best well, yeah, do to get you there? Well, equity to me is not only how can I best help you, but how do I get the best you well yeah to do what you need to that do. was all part of it too so yeah i mean i may not be the best person to help you and that's a recognition that we have to have as well oh, is yes. that it's not about you it's about the student we got to take this narcissism out of there and this ego oh. and just say, Wait, well, the next best place not may not be me. me. I, <laughs> believe me. I was like, I ain't it. You need to go on. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah sure. but you have to do it in a lot. Oh, very much way. so. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> so, <laughs> so you're telling the student, let, let me put it this way. I knew when what? to say, I, you know, I know that I'm not what you need. Um, and I, I met people that wouldn't give up the ghost and I'm saying, you're not qualified to make this call kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. That was, that was and sometimes some people, people are just tenacious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, and there's some people who just can't give up, yeah. but it's not giving up. It is seeding. It's seeding that power. Correct. 
and finding the best place for that student. And if you're not, if that student is not thriving with you and you're not figuring it out, what other options are there for that student? So I had a student, he was not thriving under us. We were having issues. He was failing to meet everything. And somebody said, well, he can't be in there anymore. And I said, hold on. We got to find the next best thing. So I took a look. I found the perfect place for him. And he's in there and he's, well, he's he's making progress. Let's just <laughs> say that. He's making yeah. progress. But he's doing it in a program that works better for him than the one that we had for him. And he came by today to see me and we had a great chat. Awesome, yeah. So um, <laughs> the relationship is still there and he understands you know, that I'm there when he needs me. And he knows that his new instructor is somebody that I work with. And so it all works out yeah. for him. I have other students who I finally said, look, it's not working. Here's where you're going to go. And they said, I don't want to do that. And it's like, well, we need to try this out because it's not working with me, but I want to stay with you. And it's like, yeah, no, no, we need to flap your wings, little bird. Let's fly over to this nest over here and have somebody else take care of you. And they're doing fantastically. They're getting ready to uh, graduate. So sometimes the students don't know what they need. (laughs) That's true. That's so true. (laughs) Because because they become comfortable and yeah. a little bit of discomfort, as we all know, really helps. Yeah. So back to back to how, you know, using something like equity in the classroom, even, or even in the school, um, let's talk grades. Oh. How do we do grades? Are you, because if you're going, if you're grading from the state standards, okay, if you're going from the standards, yay, standards, another topic we're going to take on, um, that were formulated by a bunch of people who aren't teachers. Uh, mm-hmm. If that is what you're supposed to hit, then that would be a C. If you're going to go above the standard, then you're going to start hitting your A's and your B's, but you have to go well above that, right? Supposedly, yeah. Okay. So how, so with equity, a lot of kids don't know what they're getting themselves into. You can do rubrics up the yin yang and students still don't know what they're doing. Um, and so I like to create rubrics with students Yeah, and we do that in class. We have them write them out their own and we put all those together and using them a lot. I mean, rubrics are actually a very good gauge for you to use and, Do you actually, okay, so let's say that you give out a test or I don't like tests. If I give tests, then they're going to be essay tests or some kind of, some kind of way for the student to express A performance skill assessment. Yes. (laughs) And so if the student doesn't do well, how many tries does a student get in order to make the grade they want? Or if a student is below standard, how long do they get and how much effort do you help in getting them to where they need to be? 
that's that's a huge question because if you have students if you have a if you, let's say you have 20% of your students let's take algebra 1 remember we had this talk let's take the 20% of algebra 1 who aren't making the grade what are you doing in your class in order to help that 20% learn what steps they need to do have you ever thought about doing a game show where students can work in groups or students can do things like using Kahoot or some other kind of, uh, they can use their, their Chromebooks, they can use their phones, whatever, and they all need to be logged in. And you do something and you review the standards. You review the steps that the students need to have. So you can try that at the very beginning and you know who in your class has got it and who needs the help. And so then you can start working that way, correct? Yeah. How do they know what to learn if you don't tell them what to learn? Yeah. Well, how are they going to know what they need to learn if they don't know what they do? Right. <laughs> and how are you going to teach them to learn what they don't know if you don't know what they don't there know? There you go. Because maybe if they if they do very poorly on the initial assessment when you first get them in your class, maybe you need to go back a few steps. And so maybe you need to figure out a few math games that can teach all of this so they start yeah. getting it. Because the learning needs to be experiential. And it needs to be a positive experience for them. If you teach math dry, they're going to hate yep. it. Unless they unless they have very extremely dry wit and they don't have much imagination, or their imagination just isn't on. I shouldn't say that because that sounds kind well, of unless you're an extraordinarily um, good teacher and they follow you. But I have never met that kind of math teacher in my life. Right, and so, but if it's fun, if it's experiential, yeah. if the students can can talk about what they learned and they can put it into mm -hmm. practice and they can practice it and they do it over and over again. And then you keep reviewing. So you, so let's say what, let's say you did plan a over here and you got the students all gung ho on that. And then you go to part B and you do part B and then you go back to part A and you incorporate part A and B do the same thing with C. And now you've got A, B, C, and then you do D, A, B, C, D. Is that making sense to you? <laughs> so that you're constantly reviewing. And some people might say, wait, you are wasting a lot of time. Am I wasting time in making sure that all my students are able to understand and we can review and I know where my students are, every one of them. And so I know what points I need to hit with each student. Or am I wasting time when students are failing in my class because I'm moving too quickly and I'm not paying attention to them. Correct. You were saying making the grade earlier and how do you grade and, and what's your grading scale and all these, these phrases we use right. for grading that come up, you know, I was just thinking extrapolating and I thought to myself, when somebody produces the objective sample for a C grade, that I can apply to every human student I encounter, then my grading scale will never be an objective scale. There's no way to qualify and right. quantify every human on an objective scale 
regardless of what number you put on it, regardless of what standard you apply, a human being is a human being and we are not comparable to each other. And to compare ourselves to each other is to limit each other and ourselves. Well, I think that's right. And I think that's why we need to look at what are they doing and what's the rubric for what they're doing in order to achieve that. Concept. Exactly the fault in our so education if, system. If to I wanted, so if I need to know that you understand <laughs> what the term theme is and what's the theme in Romeo and mm-hmm. Juliet, and you're going to, let's say you compose a song for me and you're going to sing that song for me. Or let's say that you are going to, Lord, I don't know. You're going to enact a skit yeah. with your friends and you do that and you put that whole thing together and I don't know how you're going mm-hmm. to do it. Or let's say that you do a piece of art. Let's say that you do a diorama. You're doing something. Yeah. Is that it is why isn't that Correct. working well it's english class what is english class english is about communicating mm-hmm. english is about understanding what's going on with your language it doesn't need to be written down not everybody can write let's say that juan pablo who's an eld student he kind of gets what's going on he's not going to be able to write you a paper because he's an elpa 2 student Correct. And, but he knows what's going on. So you say, okay, so how's this sound? What can you do to show me what you understand about Romeo and Juliet? And what is the play really about without telling me what it's about? Right. How can you add to the literacy of our society? And how can I understand what you're adding to the literacy society? And how do we communicate that? It's where is there a standard that says you have to communicate that literacy in the understanding, understand and understandable form that it's been written down in through the ages. I mean, we are recreating and recreating ourselves so quickly now. These standards are Mm -hmm. they're sort of creating and recreating themselves anyway. And someone's holding us to them. And I don't understand why we're worshiping them so steadfastly. It's about learning. It's not about what we're learning. It's yeah. about how we're learning. And for the sake of what we're learning, we're forgetting how to learn. And we're not learning fast enough. Well, I think what it is, is when people go into teaching, they believe that they need to be the expert uh-huh. in whatever it is that yep. they're teaching. So that's I, I think that may be one of the biggest problems and that may be one of the biggest barriers for teachers because the prop that the idea of teaching is to learn more Makes yeah sense? when i got into teaching it, was, it is when i started teaching yeah. i was having the best time in the world i love teaching because i was learning yeah. so much because the students what they told me because i was an english teacher and the students would come in we would talk and we would just have a blast. And we would go over so much. I taught humanities. I taught speech and debate. I taught theater. I've taught choir. Yep. Um, and I taught ELD. I taught many things. 
And I, it was always about the communication and the sharing of that. That's what was important. If somebody didn't understand something, I tried to find the best way right. to communicate with them. If it was just like writing numbers, if it had something to do with, because I lived in South America, so I know some Spanish, right? I mean, I worked with a right. migrant yeah, education project and I immersed. had to be able to speak Spanish for that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but there are other languages because I've also had to work with Russians. I've had to work with people from Georgia and I don't mean the I Southern know. state. I mean, the country, Georgia, right? Well, just for our listeners and, you know, people from Ukraine, people from Belarus, I've had to work with people from all over the world and in explaining to them how they're going to learn, I had to learn. And when I found something that worked, it was joyous. It was a eureka moment, right? And we need those students to have the same kind of experience with what they're doing, regardless of their background, regardless of anything. We have to find the joy. And I think it was when we first got going, I said that the students are treasure troves. And they are. And that's our job. Every single student that walks through your door has a treasure inside of them. And it's our job to open that chest not literally their chest, open the treasure chest yeah, up yeah, yeah. and find out what, what is inside there so that we can, um, so that they can exploit it for themselves and use it and start to learn and find that success. I think the base premise of this is equity equals success for every student. That That's exactly it. And if you're, if you're a good teacher, you just want to know what they need for- to, yeah, and, and facilitate that. Teachers, we're not experts at everything. We just we're experts at learning because we love to learn, and we've learned how to learn. We're, we're experienced exactly. at it. it. It's what we do. It's our exactly. <laughs> right, right. So here's what I'm going to say. There are some great books on um, universal design for mm-hmm. learning. Um, I'm going to put some of them in the show notes and there are some articles or finding books on equity. I think people can generally find, um, I did find some ways and some ideas on how to be equitable in the classroom. So I'll put those in the show notes as well. If people want to look at those and use them or not. And, uh, I think that this opens a whole new and hope it opens a whole new discussion that I hope that people can take with them. And the idea of equity is challenge it and always ask questions and talk to your peers about whether or not a strategy is equitable and what we can always do to improve ourselves. We always need to improve ourselves. Isn't that correct? That is true. Indeed. Okay. So I think we'll wrap it up. And I want to I want to thank you very much for being here, and for all of our listeners, thank you, and we will see you next week. Ciao.